Today I thought I'd read to you a scientific article. It's called The Myths of Restoration Ecology and it's written by Robert Hildebrand, Adam Watts and April Randall. This episode would be ideal if you'd like to learn a little bit about ecology but then also if you'd like to have this in the background uh, when you're trying to sleep asleep. So let's start the introduction. Humanity's ever-increasing ability to affect environmental change on a number of spatial and temporal scales requires tough decisions about how we view, value and manage ecosystems. For example, advances in agriculture that support vastly more people per unit area than hunting and gathering are clearly a positive outcome for society. However, many beneficial land use practices, including agriculture, may ultimately degrade ecosystems. To function as a society, some amount of ecosystem alteration must occur to support the human population, but we are ultimately dependent on ecosystem services. Our actions, both intentionally and unwittingly, alter the goods and services of many ecosystems on which we rely. And by entering into this relationship of altering ecosystems, we incur responsibility to our neighbours and to future generations. However, the difficult decisions have largely been avoided by the expectations and confidence in conservation and in particular ecological restoration. Given the widespread alteration of natural systems, it is clear that conservation measures alone will not suffice to protect ecosystem function services and habitat for a large number of species in the future. Conservation has traditionally been a rearguard measure to prevent further degradation rather than a means for increasing resources or natural capital. As such, simple maintenance as opposed to enhancement of ecosystems may often leave ecosystems and species vulnerable. Despite conservation policies such as roadless areas and the no-net loss concept for US wetlands, losses continue to exceed gains. I'm sorry if you can hear cars in the background. I'm just sitting um, in a room next to the main road. Okay, and gains are often not functionally equivalent to losses. Increasing human population growth and resource consumption continue to place additional stresses on systems and demands more capacity and services rather than simple maintenance of current services. Thus, we must either alter consumption or rely on our ability to create, restore and enhance ecosystems and their services. Despite our dependence on healthy ecosystems, society has made the decision to continue life as usual until a loss of valued goods and services is realized. Then society will expect and rely on science to clean up the mess and make it look natural. Many government policies concerning development and extractive resource use already assume the ability to mitigate ecosystem damage through the restoration of degraded land or creation of new habitats. 
However, many restorations are not successful either in structure or function when compared with reference ecosystems. Such results underscore the needs to evaluate our underlying beliefs and expectations in restoration. The incredible complexity of nature forces us to simplify the systems we study in order to develop theory and general generalities by reducing them to understandable subsets. Although we cannot function without theory and conceptual models, their creation often ignores the variability that is so important to accurately describe, predict, and recreate current and future system attributes. In essence, restoration ecology strives to recreate complex systems from simplified guiding principles or myths. Failure to recognize the limitations and tacit assumptions can lead to failures because of the over-application of oversimplified concepts to complex systems. We believe the same is true in ecological restoration. We believe that many unsatisfactory restorations result from a failure to recognize and address uncertainty and from a focus on inappropriate timescales. Ecological restoration is trying to do in a matter of years what takes decades or centuries under natural conditions. Expecting complete restoration on human timescales is unreasonable, even where full recovery may eventually occur. Nonetheless, many of our underlying beliefs tacitly, I think the word is, assume that systems will return to a natural state in fairly short order if they are just nudged in the right direction through adjustments to physical attributes or by regulating species composition. Additional problems arise in defining what is natural and in our inability to accept that systems are dynamic and may have multiple trajectories leading to numerous possible outcomes. Finally, because we are extrapolating from oversimplified concepts, ignoring uncertainty may result in surprise and failure because we have not created a system capable of adapting or responding to future drivers or events. Therefore, restorations should not be one-time events but are likely to require periodic attention and adaptive management to increase the chances of responsive, adaptive and successful projects. Based on our experiences as researchers and practitioners in conservation and restoration ecology, we propose five central myths under which many ecological restoration and management projects seem to be conceived and implemented. Myths have value because they help us to organize and understand complex systems and phenomena. Identifying myths can help make the tacit explicit by revealing assumptions that are otherwise hidden. However, there remain simplified and potentially misguided models for understanding and application. The first myth, the carbon copy, addresses the goal-setting process and as such, it forms the basis of how restorations are evaluated. The carbon copy is closely tied to the remaining four myths, which involve the process of restoration and management. The field of dreams, fast-forwarding, the cookbook and command and control the Sisyphus complex. We believe that describing these myths will be useful in understanding how some management or restoration strategies are conceived, designed and implemented. 
for example, adherence to different myths may direct actions in divergent directions, as could be the case when choosing between a focus on ecosystem structure or on key processes. Examining these myths may also help us better understand why some restoration projects do not meet our expectations in the pages below. We briefly descri describe each myth and its assumptions and give examples where the myth exists. Our objective is not to abandon what we propose to be prevalent myths in ecological restoration, there are elements of truth in each, but to recognize that there are tacit assumptions associated with each myth. I'm just going to google what this, what the word tacit means because I'm not familiar with it. Tacit, uh, how do you pronounce it? Tacit. Tacit understood or implied without being stated tacit understood or implied without being stated okay our objective is not to abandon what we propose to be prevalent myths in ecological restoration there are elements of truth in each, but to recognize that there are tacit assumptions associated with each myth. Failure to recognize these assumptions can lead to conflict and disappointing results despite large expenditures of time and effort. Our challenge is to recognize the limitations and not accept sometimes dogmatic beliefs without critical examination. We do not claim that every project is rooted in myth, but suggest that many perceived failures may be traced to over-reliance on one or more of the myths. We do not condemn restoration ecology, but rather provide a means of self-examination, so readers can identify from their own experiences what worked and possible reasons for perceived failures. The myth of the carbon copy. The myth of the carbon copy relates to the selection of restoration goals and endpoints and maintains that we can restore or create an ecosystem that is a copy of a previous or ideal state. The myth is rooted in the Clementsian idea that ecosystems develop in a predictable fashion toward a specified static endpoint or climax. Accordingly, any disturbance or degrading activity will reset the system, resulting in a phase of rebuilding and a return to the previous trajectory of ecosystem development. However, restoration sites are different from those where secondary succession occurs after disturbance, and restoring or creating an ecosystem of specific composition becomes quite difficult. Most successes appear to be only transitory. Despite the shortcomings, the myth of a carbon copy persists in ecological restoration. The main reason is that the underpinnings of restoration ecology involve ecological succession and assembly rules, which tend to reinforce subconsciously the concept of a static climax endpoint. Indeed, Van der Walk described restoration as accelerated succession. Ecology is rich with examples of succession, and there is little doubt of its importance in community and ecosystem development, or potential in restoration. 
The main issue is the extent to which succession is equilibrial and can be predicted or controlled to arrive at a predefined state under human timescales. Most landscapes are a mosaic of different vegetation types that shift through both space and time, and identifying a single state as the only endpoint is not realistic for most systems. The myth of the carbon copy has influenced resource agencies such as the US National Park Service that have mandates to restore and manage some systems to pre-settlement conditions. At, it, at its extreme, the carbon copy emphasizes a natural or primeval state that existed before European settlement and becomes the restoration or management objective. As the natural state existed before corruption by modern influences or before a need for restoration, its return is the objective. Although the purpose of restoration and management outside of legislative mandates should guide the goals and endpoints, a de facto endpoint is all too often what the system was like in an undisturbed state. Restoration to a pre-disturbance state may be desirable when concerns are for the naturalness of the system, but many difficulties exist during implementation. Few would debate that a pre-disturbance state is in most cases preferable to a decorated one, but the ability to recreate a system resembling pre-disturbance may be difficult, if not impossible. Given the sheer number of non-native species that have invaded and been integrated into virtually every ecosystem, it is arguably impossible to achieve a pre-settlement target condition. Even if such a goal could be achieved, selection of the appropriate target remains in question. Do we restore for the ecosystem of 1500 AD, 500 AD or 1000 BC? Another difficulty arises when the underlying parameters and drivers have changed, or the system is too degraded to achieve pre-disturbance conditions. Changes such as a rise in sea level, atmospheric acid deposition, and altered hydrology because of urbanization, dams, and water withdrawals may all substantially alter both structure and function as a result of changes in salinity, soil and water chemistry, and hydrography and geomorphology respectively. Thus, we may aim at a target that is not only moving but also at a target that is no longer attainable at a specific locale. Tension and conflict arise when the carbon copy is an unrealistic or inappropriate goal. Pre-disturbance or pristine conditions are often in conflict with stakeholder wishes, particularly in more urbanized situations. Even setting goals that recognize multiple endpoints can be politically and socially problematic when various stakeholders each desire a different and conflicting result. In these cases, a pre-disturbance condition may not represent the best solution when the objective is to maximize an ecosystem service function or aesthetic, rather than focus on restoring to some primeval state, a more profitable approach would be to accept that ecosystems are dynamic and focus on repairing damaged systems to the extent possible.
carbon copy myth prevails in extractive resource industries such as forestry and mining and its foundations are used as arguments to justify access to resources in undisturbed environments. The belief being that these systems will return to their previous state after disturbance. Although few ecologists pretend that the more destructive forms of mining can be fully restored, the belief in this ability is promoted by those backing the extraction industries. Despite limited success, the carbon copy myth has researched in the USA in the form of the no-net loss paradigm of wetland protection policy and mitigation which assumes that created or restored wetlands provide equivalent ecological services, function, and value as those destroyed. Although success stories exist, many now consider the assumptions invalid because few created or restored wetlands have achieved structure or function equivalent to existing wetlands. And natural wetlands continue to disappear without equivalent replacement. Thank you.